Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And when you stimulate mTOR, it inhibits autophagy, which is your self-cleansing mechanisms. So it actually works against you in terms of aging. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Health Theory. I'm here with Dr. Frank Lippman. Dr. Frank Lippman, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited, man. I read your book. It was really prescriptive, and that is something that I respect a lot. I think taking, you know, with every day that passes, it seems like health uh, gets more and more complicated. And the way that you were able to distill it down and actually tell people, go do this, um, I thought was really powerful. And the new book, of course, are The New Rules of Aging Well, uh, which I'm very excited to talk to you about. But I actually want to start back in apartheid South Africa the insights that you have around like what apartheid is and what it stood for and why it doesn't work when you begin to extrapolate into things like medicine, I thought was incredibly powerful. Um, so what was it like growing up in apartheid and what did you take away as you went into medicine? Well, you know, I grew up in the, you know, I was born 1954. So I grew up in the fifties and sixties in South Africa during apartheid. But I grew up with very, very liberal left-wing parents. So I sort of grew up knowing that the system was rotten. So um, you just start questioning everything. And the medical system was just another system to question. Um, One thing but, I heard you give a talk and you said that apartheid stands for separate. And yep. then coming into the Western medical establishment, you said that same notion of the separateness of not treating the body like a holistic thing and that same, and I assume that's what you mean when you say that the system was rotten. So one, how did you begin to realize that? Did you hone in right away on that separateness, the way that they were um, treating the, the symptoms rather than the causes? Or was it when you got involved in acupuncture, you began to learn a new way? How did that yeah. happen? I think, you know, you know, I went to medical school, you know, my brother went to medical school. And if you're a smart kid in South Africa, in those days, you went to medical school, I didn't even question it. Um, and in the beginning, I got brainwashed, like every other doctor thinking Western medicine was the answer. Um, but then after my training, I went to work in the bush. And um, I got exposed to traditional healers called Sangomas. And I noticed that some of the patients we weren't helping, that the Sangomas were helping. So it opened my mind a little bit to question the system or to realize that there may be other ways. But I was still, you know, heavily brainwashed by Western medicine. And I thought that was the answer. 
Um, and then if you I'll, had to put your finger on what the brainwashing of the Western system is, how would you define it? Um, I define it probably as a cult. You know what they do? They in, in cults they deprive you of sleep, they force all this knowledge into you, and you you're not really um, asked or to question anything. You just got to listen to 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 the elders and you know follow the rules. And that's sort of, in a way, I mean, I know that's a bit of an exaggeration, but that's sort of the way we trained in Western medicine. This is the way it is, and you don't question it. And and really, the only tools we have in Western medicine are, you know, pharmaceuticals or surgery. So you don't think out of the box. We're not really taught to question or, or think about are there other ways. We're not really taught to really look for the underlying causes of a problem. And we're not really taught... To keep people healthy, we're taught to treat disease or serious disease. So there, there are many shortcomings in Western medicine. Now, look, Western medicine is fantastic if you're acutely, acutely ill or you break a bone. I'm not knocking Western medicine, but to take that model and use and extrapolate that model for all, you know, all our problems in, in the culture today is, you know, we, we end up with a very limited way of treating people and a very narrow way. And if you're not prepared to see the shortcomings of the system, then your patients suffer. Mm. So, all right, we're back in the bush. What were they doing that... Right. I haven't got a clue. I mean, they were throwing <laughs> bones. They were doing weird stuff, which I thought was quackery. But because I was intrigued by the culture, to me, this was more interesting from a cultural perspective than a medical perspective. Um uh, but I did notice that some patients that we couldn't help, you know, were sometimes getting better. So it sort of was there at the back of my mind. And then after that, but I still thought African medicine was bullshit and there was nothing to it. And then I went to work in a private practice in, in the suburbs, in white suburbia. And I actually happened to work with a very hip doctor who happened to be the doctor for a lot of the detainees. He was also very progressive and liberal. Um, and... Uh, he was also a little bit open and, and the, the, he had part of his practice were the sort of the artsy community of Johannesburg. So we'd have these artsy people coming into me and they'd seen the homeopath and they had gotten better. They'd come in and they'd tell me, well, my migraine, I went to the homeopath and got better. I went to the acupuncturist. There was one acupuncturist in Johannesburg. I went to the acupuncturist and my back got better. So I was, you know, realizing that when I was seeing these people, they were coming in with problems that I couldn't help in Western medicine, and they were telling me they were going to these quacks and they were getting better. And I went to Paul, who is my mentor, the doctor I was working with. I said, Paul, what the hell's going on? You know, and he laughed at me and he said, you know, you know people get better in spite of what we do. Your job is, is to actually listen to them and support them with whatever they're doing. And But, but that started really opening my mind and... Um, then I emigrated to America because my wife and I didn't want to live under apartheid. Um, and I had to, to get a license in New York. I had to do three years as an, uh, in an internship. And I got a job in the South Bronx because they sponsored me for a green card. Whoa. The South Bronx in 1984 was a pretty burnt out area full of crack addicts yeah. and heroin addicts. And American doctors didn't want to work there. So they were able to sponsor me for a green card. Um, and... Uh, I started my residency there, and after a few weeks, 
I realized that I didn't want to be a doctor in America because the medicine was very different. In South Africa, we didn't have the money to do all these tests on people. We had to take a really good history, talk to people, examine them, and come up with some type of treatment protocol. In America, you just very quick history, very brief exam. You do a lot of bloods. You do an EKG. You do a chest X-ray. And then you read up about it and present it to the professor the next day. There was no relationship. The relationship with the patient was not emphasized at all. And uh, there happened to be an acupuncture clinic attached to the hospital doing acupuncture for detox. And because I was so disillusioned with, with Western medicine, I went to check out the acupuncture clinic. And um, I walked into this clinic in this burnt out area in this room um, with about 20 chairs um, with these heroin addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears. And I went, this is interesting. You know, these were the same patients in the wards that were pulling out their IVs and they were swearing at you. I don't know if you've ever been around addicts getting off heroin or crack. Mm-hmm. And they're pretty tough patients. And in the wards, you know, we're treating them and they were really difficult to, to treat because, you know, they were aggressive and um, they were, you know, shouting and screaming and um, you, you had to sedate them. And here I walked into this room and there were th- these 20 odd Uh, addicts sitting quietly with needles in their ears. So for the next three years, because I had to do three years in the hospital, I started spending my time between the hospital where I seen acutely ill and, you know, sick patients and then going to the acupuncture clinic and checking it out. So um, I saw then that the future would be the combination of the two because the one was particularly good at one thing and not particularly good at the other and and, and vice versa. So it was like a no-brainer. I, I didn't even have to think about it. It was like so obvious to me that the, the future is somehow combining the two. And that was sort of the beginning of my journey. The interesting part of that story, though, is that you go and present this stuff to your peers, and they basically do reject it. And they say, this is crazy. And uh, if you go down this path, it's basically going to be the death of your career. So that, to me, when I heard you describe sort of the different ways of thought, like you said, Western medicine, you're basically thinking of the body as a machine. And what ends up happening is when you're thinking from a pharmacological perspective, when the check oil light comes on, you put a Band-Aid over it so you can't see it. And whereas in the Eastern tradition, you think of it as a garden. And when a leaf is brown, you don't paint it green. You go figure out what's wrong with the soil or whatever. And I thought, oh my God, that's really a brilliant analogy and understanding there are times where you're going to deal with the body like yeah. a machine. Like I imagine in the Bronx, you must have at some point dealt yeah, with absolutely. acute traumas and things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I just thought that was interesting. And I heard you speak sort of reverently about surgery when somebody's in a position where that's exactly what they need. And it, it borders on sort of miraculous. Um, and so now with that in mind, what prompts you to write the new rules of aging? Like so many other things in my career, it just happened uh, because I'd just written a book called How to Be Well, where I thought I put a lot of my information from the last 35 whatever years of practice into a a user-friendly manual. And I'd been starting to explore a lot of the, you know, there's been more and more research on aging lately and, you know, becoming aware of all this new interesting research on aging, so I said, well, let's do a book on aging. 
And that's how it happened. So as you dive into it, what what were some of those early things in the new research that's coming out that really caught your eye that people should be aware of that are, you know, if they either heed the advice or ignore the advice, you know, um, it's going to have significant impact on their life? Well, a couple of things I've noticed, you know, we do in, in my practice, uh, I measure a lot of biomarkers, which are sort of the downstream measurements of lifestyle changes for for the most part and for instance as a holistic doctor in the early days i was sort of semi-vegetarian mainly pescatarian um, coming from south africa eating lots of grains lots of fruits no red meat i thought that was the way to go and i became pre-diabetic eating what i thought was a healthy diet were you overweight at that point or i mean i've never been overweight but i had a bit of a stomach for me yes i was overweight but i thought that was just part of what it was yeah i had a double chin yeah i was i didn't realize i was overweight until i went on a paleo diet and i just automatically lost weight and felt fantastic and i said "Fuck, excuse my language this is interesting this sort of goes against what my thinking is eating a lot of fat and you know protein and, and grains taking grains out and um so i saw what happened to me and then i started doing it with my patients and i saw the excellent results with my patients. And then I was going along happily. And I started, when I started getting to the anti-aging research, you know, I started reading about, you know, what some people are calling longevity genes. And um, the research was showing that uh, animal protein, too much animal protein can actually stimulate the the mTOR longevity gene which is not good for aging because that's the one particular gene you don't want to stimulate as you get older. And because I went, it causes well, cells to, to divide too much? What's the, what's the problem? The problem is animal protein, the, the amino acid profile, has got high methionine in particular, lysine 2. And a lot of methionine in particular stimulates this longevity gene. And when you stimulate mTOR, it inhibits autophagy, which is your self-cleansing mechanisms. So it actually works against you in terms of aging. Until you're about 40 or 45, you're growing and you're reproducing and you want to be strong. And animal protein is actually a good thing. Um, I'm I'm not against animal protein if it's well-sourced. But once you start getting to 45, 50, it's more about preservation and maintenance. And the way to do that is you, you actually want to keep the, the, that particularly important mechanism of autophagy going strong because a lot of things start, your functioning starts decreasing as you get older a little bit. So you want to preserve as much as you can so you don't, so that functioning doesn't decrease as much as it normally would, whether it's mitochondrial function or this self-cleansing mechanism. Self-cleansing mechanism is an important one. So I started looking for what are all the ways to prevent that happening quicker. You know, first of all, I started eating less than fasting. You know, I started looking for ways of, of stimulating or triggering these longevity genes or the autophagy mechanisms. So I started fasting more. Now, uh, now I only eat two meals a day, for instance. Um, I don't eat as much, and I still eat animal protein. I, I mean, I, I'm not against animal protein. I just don't eat as much. Mm. So I don't think one has to stop, but I do think, you know, it depends how old you are. But when you get into your 60s, you definitely don't want to lose muscle mass because muscle not only keeps you strong and, 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 and vital as you get older, but it's, it also has a metabolic function. You know, everyone talks about osteopenia losing um, 
bone mass, but sarcopenia, the loss of muscle, is really important as you get older. So it's actually a tricky balance, this protein issue as you get older. But I think you've got to find that fine balance because you don't want to lose muscle mass. And actually animal protein is is, is a good way of, of maintaining that. So it's finding that fine balance. You know, I use a lot of collagen now because collagen, animal protein, coming from animal collagen, um, doesn't have hymothionine. So in terms of animal protein, that's a pretty good protein to use for in, in aging. So All right, before you know, we add anything new, I want to go back through some of the steps so anybody listening okay. can really begin to implement this. So um, first we go from a pescatarian, high grain, lots of fruits diet, um, causing pre-diabetic problems that we weren't really aware of. We go paleo, which I guess we'll sort of define as um, whole foods, um, higher maybe in protein and fat, lower in the grains and carbohydrates. Yep. We start feeling better. I'm guessing your inflammation is going down. Yep. Your weight loss begins to happen sort of effortlessly. Yep. Um, and now this thing around as we get older, we have to be more thoughtful about mTOR. I want to I wanna park there for a minute. So if basically if there is something in animal protein in the amino acid profile of animal protein that triggers mTOR and mTOR disrupts autophagy, for the first time, I sort of really get why that then becomes problematic. Um, so I get why you say, hey, sometimes maybe animal protein, but sometimes maybe not because of depending on your age, sarcopenia, you can go to the point where you're not, you're triggering no mTOR, which means you're not building anything, which means that now you can get yourself into a muscle problem. And so you've really got to find that balance as you get older. So Right. But I think what I do want to say, because I don't want to, you know, we tend to reduce, you know, we're very reductionist in the way we think. It's not just about mTOR. I just think that's a factor to think about rather than um, the, the be all and end all. I think it's just if, that's why I decreased my animal protein rather than saying animal protein is bad. You know, I don't think it's healthy when you're older just to keep growing and getting stronger and, and building and building and building. It's, it's really that that um, idea of it's more about preserving and maintaining as we get older rather than growing stronger and stronger. And, and because preserving you and give your body a dangerous signal that could turn cancerous, why would exactly, that be bad? Exactly. So you don't want too many things that are abnormal to grow because if you're still into growth, unfortunately, sometimes cancers can grow too, abnormal things can grow. That's the exact the, the, the idea. So you want to sort of, it's a fine balance. And, you know, everything's working together, how you sleep, how you deal with stress, how kind you are. Um, if you have purpose in life, um, if you have gratitude. So there are all these many factors working together. It's not just about, you know, people who are so rigid about their diet, whether it's a paleo diet, or a vegan diet, I think is probably more unhealthy. I think just be smart about it and be aware of it rather than um, be obsessed about it. And why um, you're saying that a vegan diet is more unhealthy than a paleo diet? Well, for most people, I would say that yes. Most of the vegans that I have seen as patients tend to be nutritionally depleted. You know, I have I have a couple of patients who are vegans and, and are, are Really healthy. I think that's more unusual than 
unhealthy people eating a paleo diet, put it put it that way. But you know, once again, I'm not. I don't think there's one right diet for everyone. I mean, a Do you vegan think diet people for, fall into buckets though, like yes, because I doubt it's infinite variability, right? So people begin to clump into yes. types. Have you ever given thought to like, is it five types, fifty types? I mean, you're asking really interesting questions here, Tom. <laughs> You know, I think there's there are variations, um, and I, and I think it's affected by your age too. I do think, especially as we get older, we need to eat less, and as I said, you know, less protein. I think the the general rule for me is we eating as few sugars and starches as possible is is sort of generic. Um, then once you get Beyond that, for some people, grains are fine. For a lot of people, I find grains are, are a problem. So my, my generic diet for most people is sort of a paleo or low-carb diet. Once we go from there, it's like some people do better with some morphine. You know, I saw um, someone today who is on a keto diet, and I've seen so many people do really well on a keto diet. You know, She was on a keto diet. She couldn't understand what was going on. And we did a genetic profile on her. There's a genetic test I did. And sure enough, it came up that she had a difficult time with fats, mm -hmm. too many fats. So you know, now we're going to cut down her fats and she'll probably do a little bit better. So I think you know, my standard diet would be a low-carb diet for everyone. And then after that, it's you know sort of the balancing how much fat, how much protein, what do you want to do? If you want to lose weight, Sometimes just a high-protein diet will do it. So it all depends on what your needs are. But, you know, once we get older, I think eating less, eating very low-carb, and, and um, sort of balancing that protein need with your, your muscle um, mass is, is probably the most important. But I always like people to think of food as a, something they enjoy. I, I hate putting people on diets. You know, I think people need to learn to enjoy and their food and find a way of eating that's sustainable for them. And, you know, we, we're living in an interesting time because a lot of this can be measured ourselves, you know, the self-monitoring. Mm. You know, the whole biohacking world is interesting. I hate the word biohacking, and I find some of the biohacking world a little bit too yang and masculine. But the idea of monitoring yourself and making changes accordingly is very empowering and very, you know, so I, I think it's all good. I think it's how you do it and how you are with that information because we can't lose that aspect of our, our humanity. Uh, you know, you've probably heard me talk about Ubuntu, you know, that African term, what makes us human is the humanity we show each other. You know, as you get, as I get older, I'm less dogmatic, um, let, I'm more aware of of the subtleties in life and um, uh, how important being kind is, how important, you know, someone finding their passion, whether it's with their kids or their work, whatever it is, all these, these, um, these factors that we don't really talk about or think about as powerful as or as powerful as diet. I mean, I think diet and sleep and exercise are really important, but are they uh, more important than you know your humanity and um, whether you're grateful, whether you have purpose in life? So, you know, as you get older, you start looking at the world in a sort of 
I do anyway, starting to look at, you know, looking back and, and thinking about so many of the people that were healthy and were unhealthy, um, even some of the people who are eating really well, exercising, would get sick, what was going on in their lives. You start looking at these patterns, and the pattern I'm seeing more and more of, I'm becoming more and more aware of is, you know, these these um, intangibles being probably even more important than, you know, what we, we look for in, in someone's health in terms of what they're eating, how they're exercising, how they're sleeping. I think sleep is, is another huge issue. My next. When it comes to platforms that will help you run a business, there is no shortage of options on the market. But if you want to use the best, most advanced, and most efficient platform out there, you need to be using Shopify. For whatever and wherever you want to sell, from launching to going international, Shopify is the global commerce platform that will help you grow at every stage of your business. With award-winning customer service, the internet's highest converting checkout page, and a suite of integrated AI tools, Shopify is your all-in-one platform to quickly and efficiently take your business to the next level. I love everything about Shopify because it makes it so easy to start, run, and grow a business. Shopify powers more than 10% of all U.S. e-commerce because businesses that want to grow quickly use Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial at shopify.com slash impact, all lowercase. Again, go to shopify.com slash impact right now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash impact. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you want to have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers 
whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Books on sleep. That's interesting. Yeah, sleep is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, as somebody who's professing a lot about working hard and, you know, very yang, as you say, um, but I always am, I take time to tell people I sleep as much as I need sleep. Like I prioritize sleep. Right. Um, yeah. It is It is a unique form of misery to be tired all the time and you're just not productive. I do not understand people that just constantly sacrifice sleep. But I want to push in on this yin and yang idea um, that you were basically just walking us through, maybe not a name, but I, I have a feeling that that's exactly what you mean. You've got the yang of like exercising and, yeah. you know, tracking data and making sure exactly. that your mTOR is in the right place, you know, like really going in on it. And then there's, are you loving somebody? Are you connected to people? Exactly. Are you grateful? Have you learned meditation and relaxation? And what's interesting is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you look at that as important, not in some ephemeral way, but like it's actually impacting you physiologically. Absolutely. No question about it. Yeah. And I think what's interesting and what's, you know, what's happening now with measurements, you know, with whether it's the aura ring and these new measurements where we can measure blood sugar and we're going to be starting to measure more, you know, the self-monitoring. I think we're going to actually start becoming able to see how these yin aspects or these softer aspects are actually affecting all these other, you know, our sleep and uh, how we feel you know in, in the past it was hard to put it all together or to to ascertain was it are you doing well because you really love what you're doing and you got you know you're part of a community um and you have love in your life or is it because you changed your diet um or you're sleeping better and i think now with self money and, and i'm very intrigued i think this new age of medicine um, is going to be this whole um, combination of the blood biomarkers, self-monitoring, your genetics, maybe doing, you know, measuring your microbiome. And I think the, the next wave is how do we put this together in a really sensible way to help people take care of themselves and let the doctors take care of acutely ill patients because ultimately you should be your own doctor and monitoring um, what's going on in your life and, and making changes accordingly. And I think it's sort of heading in that direction. Yeah. The one thing that I'm very curious about in your work is as we move forward and we're balancing this yin and yang and we're looking at both sides, what are the things that we should be looking at? Are there certain biomarkers? Is there amount of time in the sun? Is there, you know, number of times per week that you're meditating or is it strictly blood markers? Like what are the things that we should be paying attention to that tell us we're on the right path? Right. So, so the way I see this, um, downstream, you have your markers that you can measure. And then upstream is these lifestyle changes or whatever you want to call them that are affecting those. You know, now we have continuous blood glucose monitors. I think they're going to get more and more sophisticated in terms of what you can measure. I think the next wave is you're going to be able to do a prick and you can measure probably 15 or 20 biomarkers. You know, we do lots and lots in my office, which may or may not be necessary. But I think 
the biomarkers are something that is just one aspect to measure. Then you can measure your sleep. You know, you can have your Fitbit. There, there, there are many things you can measure. And then you can make your changes, your lifestyle changes, whether it's changing your diet, how you exercise, when you exercise, how you sleep, um, if you're angry and, and uh, fighting with your spouse, if you're not happy at work. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of this can be done out of the doctor's office. And I think a lot of it will be done out of the doctor's office, which is exciting. Yeah, one of the the things in there that I think is really interesting is that idea of beginning to track pattern recognition as it associates with blood yes. markers. My wife struggled profoundly with microbiome issues for years. And the only real breakthrough came when she finally got religious about tracking what she ate and how she felt. And once she started doing that, you just find patterns that you never would have guessed. Exactly. And the, there were things that you know, her doctor told her would bother her based on an allergy test, and they didn't. And then there were things that she was supposedly fine with, but just every time she ate it, she would have an episode. And so finally, she was just like, I'm just going to trust, like, I eat this, there's a problem. Whether I can identify why there's a problem or not is totally separate. And so right. we ended up finding out, even though she isn't gluten, um, she doesn't have celiac and doesn't even register as gluten intolerant, if she eats gluten, it wrecks her stomach. And then the same. Know, okay, so you know, so here's an interesting thing. So now we have much more sophisticated or, or, or sensitive tests for gluten. So it, in the old days, you used to do a celiac test, which just tests two or three or four uh, antigen. There's actually a test you can do now. It's called the Wheat Zoomer by Vibrant Wellness that actually measures 13 different gluten antigens. And a lot of patients, now that we're doing it, a lot of patients come back with the celiac ones negative, but they're still sensitive to maybe the gliadin or something else in it. So your, your wife's experience is actually not atypical. Mm. Um, and the other thing I find about um, the microbiome is, you know, you can be sensitive to a food and think you it's a food, but it's actually your microbiome. And you alter the microbiome, whether you use antimicrobial herbs or whatever you do, your sensitivity to the food disappears. So it's very so this whole microbiome story and the gut story is fascinating. And I'm obsessed with it in my practice. I mean, that's what we deal with all the time. But I'm 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 seeing now that some of the testing and, and people's experiences are correlating more. So we interest we we're entering a really interesting time in medicine. I mean even in the last couple of years, I think things have got much, much more sophisticated, which is exciting. That's exciting. Um, there's no one size that fits all. I'm totally with you on that. But just like with diet, you were sort of eh, like, here's the thing I start with. It won't work yeah. for everybody, but this is sort of as close to universal as we're going to get. I'm going to lay out what I think is as close to universal for solving microbiome problems as possible. Okay. And you tell me if I'm totally crazy, you've, you've experienced okay. a lot more. So yeah. if I had to, if I had somebody and they said, look, I'm having gut issues, I would say, okay, first of all, you're all sugars dead and gone. Stop with those. Refined carbohydrates, those are gone. Um, you're going to kill your sort of, uh, you're going to kill your nightshades. You're going to um, only whole foods, nothing that is, no, nothing that's gone anywhere near glyphosate, first of all. And then um, no, uh, no grain fed 
at any phase. So grass-fed, grass-finished, the whole nine, that actually really matters if you're eating animal protein. Um, no vegetable oil and no soy products. And did I say gluten? If I didn't say gluten already, no gluten. Right. No, I That's agree. about as universal as I can think of. Uh, and no dairy. Right. I think that is almost right. My experience has been, um, because, yeah, just clinically, I'm just seeing this all the time. I mean, my practice is now full of a lot of young women in particular with autoimmune problems. And what I've noticed is a lot of the time there's a microbiome imbalance. There's either an overgrowth, whether we call it SIBO or candida or there's there's this imbalance in the gut that the diet alone will not address. You need to use, I start with herbs, you, you, you need to use antimicrobial herbs to sort of kill the bad guys. That's very simplistic, but it's let's leave it at that. Is there you like over-the-counter the stuff that we can get or is this prescription? So, yeah, no, a lot of this is over-the-counter. This is where you start with. Um, you know, what we do is I usually use the, uh, a lot of the companies are, not, are coming out with paired groups of these, um, or I use different companies, but you sort of pair a mixture of antifungals, antiparasitics, and antibacterials together. And you see how they respond, because if you're on the right track within two weeks or three weeks, people will feel a lot better. Their gas will get better. Their bloating gets better. Um they start pooping better. So you can actually tell clinically in a sh very short time. It's not that you solve the problem within a few weeks, but within two or three weeks, you get an idea if you're on the right track. And then once you see they're on a path, then you can maybe start adding probiotics, maybe. Then you can maybe start adding prebiotics, maybe, or resistance starts. Uh, the diet will always start off as you sort of talked about, but you need to do more than the diet. Because the, so many people come in with, uh, uh, you know, let's call it a severe imbalance in the microbiome that needs these antimicrobial herbs to actually treat them. I'd say 70% of the young women I see with autoimmune problems have a history of taking a lot of antibiotics as kids. So my generation of doctors, we over-treated, we used antibiotics so liberally when people, when these young you know, let's say 25-year-old young woman was a kid. She had so many antibiotics, and that started altering her microbiome. Some people even probably start before if they weren't breastfed or cesarean section. But for the most part, it really starts with chronic use of antibiotics for chronic tonsillitis, chronic ear infections, chronic sinusitis, acne, urinary tract infections, on and on and on. So that's a tragedy. You know, that's a real tragedy. And, you know, I think it's changing. You know, doctors are less liberal with antibiotics, but it has had, you know, severe negative consequences on a lot of people's health. No question. Now, there are a few things that came up in the book that I was surprised to see make multiple uh, appearances. One was mushrooms and one was CBD. Um, yeah. Talk to well, me about I'm I'm more interested in, in the CBD because of um, I have struggled profoundly with anxiety and you mentioned that that can be pretty useful with anxiety. Um, so if you give us like the, the 30 second breakdown of mushrooms and then I want to get to CBD. Yeah, well, you know, mushrooms are something that I've, you know, when you, when you learn or you study Chinese medicine, mushrooms are, have always been a part of um, my training. 
Some of them have anti-immune effects. Some of them have brain, you know, like lion's mane is good for the brain. So they have different effects. I mean, there's some interesting work. I, I'm not, I'm definitely no expert on mushrooms. I'm just quite intrigued by them. And um, uh, I use them a lot. I use them myself and I, and I recommend them. But I'm definitely no uh, expert. And one of my um, protégés, one of the health coaches um, that worked under me, um, father had pancreatic cancer and she went to help him and he's actually much better he's really done well and she was using a lot of mushrooms and, and cbd and thc so she also was someone who actually in combination like specifically mushroom cbd and thc together yes interesting so i know a little bit about cbd but not a lot when it's oral is it just a tablet well, it can come in, in, in various, you know, there are various ways of getting it into you from, from a cream you can put on to vaping to tinctures to tablets. And the big things that I've seen it help with and, and one of the few things that are as effective as CBD are for anxiety and sleep. It also can help inflammation. But the two big um, issues that I use it for a lot are anxiety and sleep. It just sort of takes the edge off. And certain strains, and, and everyone's different. The dosage people need and the strains people need seem to be different. But when it, when you get something that works, it can be magic. From the beginning, I'm, I'm less concerned with research, although I think research needs to be done. If I see something working, I'll go for it and tell people to experiment. I mean, I've learned so much experiment, experimenting on myself and my patients. You see what works. The same thing doesn't work for the same, you know, for different people. So you need, you know, why is an interesting thing, but CBD is definitely one of those things. The dosage differs, um, uh, different strains. I mean, I have CBD next to my bed. When I'm feeling agitated, I'll pop some CBD. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I'll, you know, I'll put some under my tongue. So I'm a, yeah, I love CBD. So you take it in a liquid form? Yeah, I take it because if you take it in a pill form, it's going to take a longer time to be absorbed. So it'll probably take a good hour to two before you start getting the effects. If you take it with a liquid form, you're going to get some sublingual absorption. It goes through the, you know, absorbed through the mucous membrane. So it works quicker. And obviously vaping, which I don't ever do, will work the quickest. And vaping uh, is problematic because of the particulate matter going yeah, into your exactly. lungs? Yeah, so, exactly. So I have, uh, my wife has a loving relationship with THC. I will put it that way. And right. I've never understood it. I always thought it was crazy. I was like, this just makes me feel like I want to be asleep. And right. then now with the explosion of different strands and stuff here, right. she had me try one that was supposedly like really creative and I'm obsessed. Anything that can help me be more creative, I'm all for it. So right. I tried it and I was like, this is, this doesn't even seem like the same drug that I had tried before. And it's right. simply a different strand. So I was like, right. wow, this is really interesting. Like there's yeah, yeah. so much to explore. Uh, so I, I have sort of renewed my interest in finding things that um, that can alter your consciousness is maybe the right way to think of it. I'm way too big of a chicken to do uh, what they call the hero dose of mushrooms. Uh, that does not strike me as something I'm ready for. Yeah. But well, it's interesting. To be honest, what I think also opened up my mind when I, this is when I was much younger, you know, we did some quite a bit of, not a lot, but some LSD in South Africa when I was still at medical school um, and finishing medical school. And I think that may have 
you know, it opens up your mind. You start realizing that, oh, this is interesting. And now there's so much research using, you know, some psilocybin and then for, for depression and for all sorts of things. So I, I think there's a whole area there that needs to be explored and there's something there. It's not something that I do or know enough about or use for my patients. So, um, But I do think there's something there. To me, that's just another medication. Right. But, you know, with anxiety and sleep, I mean, sleep is such a common problem. Anxiety is such a common problem. And, you know, for so many years, it's been, you know, getting people to meditate, which is very difficult and trying to, to you know, get them to deal with their stress um, using some nutrients like L-theanine and GABA. And then CBD comes and like people start taking CBD and like you're getting these really interesting results. So that's, you know, I'm always intrigued by new products or things like that. So that's why CBD got so much, uh, um, you know, got quite a bit more space than maybe something else in the book because I do think it's an important and relatively benign therapeutic tool that needs to be explored further. So knowing that lifestyle choices are your first go-to, if just in summary you had to put together three or four things that everybody should be doing, whether it's cutting out sugar or more sleep, whatever, um, what are sort of your top three or four things that if everybody did, it would help them age better? Yeah, cutting out sugar, more sleep, meditation, or something. You know, meditation doesn't have to be sitting on a cushion, you know, with a mantra. Your meditation could be knitting. Your meditation could be um, being in the garden, taking a walk. So, but sort of something where you're getting out of your, you know, that busy mind. I think that is, you know, really, really helpful. And I would put, you know, those things we talked about, being kind to yourself, being kind to others, um, having meaning. In, I mean, you know, having a passion for something is so is probably the most anti-aging. You know, when I think of all my patients who've aged well, they've all had some meaning in their lives. And the meaning may have been their grandchildren. It doesn't have to be saving the world. You know, but whatever it was, it was really meaningful for them. You know, obviously exercise too is really important. But I do think um, these those softer aspects and, and that having meaning to me is like, probably number one, but not everyone can have meaning. But, you know, I, I think, you know, if you're angry all the time and um, you're not able to forgive and, um, you know, all these little things eat you up and have an effect on you. It's the ordinary things that we do on a daily basis that have an extraordinary effect on our health. So when you start making habits of these little things, um, like taking a walk in the forest, going for a walk on the beach, you know, spending time in nature, listening to music you enjoy, being surrounded by people you love. You know, these little things that we don't realize are medicine are just as powerful as any drug. Um, so, you know, I think fasting as we get older, to be quite honest, or eating less and, and time-restricted eating, I think, is, is, is an incredible, I mean, uh, we've seen incredible results with fasting in, in our practice with measuring biomarkers, especially whether we do an ad advanced lipid panel. I mean, we've seen remarkable results with people fasting. 
I mean, it's really interesting. Now, usually that's not fasting and in the time that they're eating, they're eating crap. It's usually going together with a, a, a much healthier diet. But I mean, there are these little things that you can do that are not expensive and make a huge difference. Mm. And you feel the clarity. I mean, I was always a huge believer in having a big shake for breakfast. And I used to put all my, you know, breakfast is the meal. You've got to have a big breakfast and you're going to feel great the whole day. And I never realized how much clearer I was until I skipped breakfast and I started fasting. And how much like, you know, if you want to see me as a patient, come see me in the morning. I'm really on. So, you know, it's, it's very interesting how um, we all get brainwashed to think a certain way and something comes up and you change and you go, oh, that's interesting. And as you say, monitor yourself. See how you feel. The proof's in the pudding. You'll feel better. You'll either lose weight or you'll be more clear. Um, you'll sleep better. I mean, things, you, you definitely experience changes in the way you feel. And to me, that's what's important. Very well said. Man, this has been a lot of fun. Where can people connect with you online? Do you have a social presence? Yeah, drfranklipman.com is a website, drfranklipman.com. And I have a newsletter, which is very good. I am on Twitter. Um, I am sort of on Instagram. My health coach does my Instagram. I don't really do it um mainly my website i do i post a lot because i want to get information out mm. but i'm not the one who sits and answers and, and gets involved in 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 social media per se i like to just put the information out and i'm, I'm you know i'm too old for that so don't expect me to answer you back on social media that that is fine given how much information that you're putting out there and i will say that um you know whether you tweet people back or not, given how much amazing information is in not only the most recent book, The New Rules for Aging Well, but your whole catalog is extraordinary and, you know, bestsellers among them. So um, highly encourage everybody to check that out. And speaking of things you guys should check out, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care. <laughs>